and welcome to the It's About the Yankees podcast. My name is EJ Fagan, and tonight I am joined by Jim Carruthers. What's up, EJ? <clears throat> and I'm joined by Scott Moss. Hey, guys. How are you guys doing? Not bad. Solid week. Two out of First three against the division. Yeah, man. It's uh, good to see. Good to see. You know, it... Uh, since we uh, since we have last uh, recorded a podcast, Aaron Judge has hit six home runs. Um, <laughs> he has uh, he is currently leading the American League in FWAR. Uh, he is, I think, by all accounts, a uh, a revelation. And so I, I actually asked uh, our, our writers if somebody could do a profile, kind of dig a little bit deeper into Aaron Judge. Tell us, has he been lucky? Has he been unlucky? What you know? What's sustainable? What's not sustainable? And Jim, you did that. So Jim, I'm curious. What you uh, what you find about Aaron Judge? Well, I think, it, I mean, it, yeah, he's a total revelation. And what I did was, um, I kind of went next level on what his um, what his contact on balls and play looks like compared to a comp. And it, and it sounds crazy, but right now, you know, if you look at his WAR statistics, his comps are Mike Trout and Bryce Harper. Um, so. I took him and Bryce Harper because um, Bryce Harper, I think, has got like the most handsome swing in the big leagues, and I, I broke it down by like what what do their balls in play look like um, when they make solid contact, when they get barrel on the ball, they hit it square, and when when they hit a you know kind of a flare shot. And I think basically there's two buckets. I think Aaron Judge is really squaring the ball up at a higher rate even than Bryce Harper, and I think that's partially because pitchers don't know where to pitch him, and partially because he's in the zone. Um, I think most interestingly, interestingly, though, is when he doesn't hit it flush, um, you know, so for instance, when they, when they both hit it flush, they both hit it, exit velocity is like 108 miles an hour, which is absurd. Um, when they when Judge misses, so he gets solid or flare contact, it's four to five miles an hour harder than when <laughs> Bryce Harper hits it, and that's crazy. Um, that is a strong, strong man because Bryce Harper, to me, I mean, he was like the gold standard of bad speed and you know swing aggression, and Judge is miles ahead of that. I mean, that's that's the distance between Judge and Aaron Hicks on average velocity. So that's substantial to me. So the I find something interesting about Aaron Judge, right? Where the the question about Judge, I think, was always was was would his large strike sound and long swing doom him? Like it's doomed other tall hitters. And what it it, it appears that is powering his his crazy amazing hot streak is that yeah, you know he he strikes out a lot. You know he he has this big strike zone. One he he doesn't swing at bad pitches really ever. He's got great play discipline, but also just he has just so much size and strength that he can make up for it. That he he can plausibly have the highest home run per fly ball rate in the league. Is that is that accurate? I I mean, I, I'm kind of waiting to see. I, I think yes, based off the data, that seems that, that seems perfectly real, realistic. I'm just I'm waiting to see the the bottom drop out on his uh, on his barrel contact rate because it's just it's really really high. And I think you pointed it out earlier that he tends he tends to have a pretty low angle on his hits, anyways. Um, and I just I'm wondering what happens when he gets less balls flush, um, because I, I so he doesn't I have the uppercut swing that a Mark Trumbo has or, or yeah, someone like yeah. that who hits these big big long arc you know fly home runs. He hits a lot of these like 110 mile per hour bullets that clear the fence by five feet, but you know, are you know you know clear the fence before they reach the you know the apex of their curve. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think that that that's an interesting question. I think that I think we're all going to have to going to have to look out for. Um, I think I think he's clearly getting a little bit lucky on the home run per per fly ball rates. Um, so if I bring up his home run per fly ball right now, it's just bonkers. He has a 54% home run per fly ball percentage. That actually went down last game in which he home, homered, um, <laughs> which is nuts, right? Oh, my uh, gosh. He was at 55% before the game. Um, you know, the next highest is Chris Davis at 41%. Uh, for a full season last season, I believe that the highest was 28%, and that was considered an elite home run per fly ball. That was like Mark Trumbo last year. Um so there's going to be some regression here, but I, I think, you know, I think if you ask yourself, okay, if Aaron Judge can strike out 26% of the time, and he can hit a home run and in, you know at 30% of his fly balls, that's an all star, right? I mean, that's the one he bats 250 with 45 home runs, right? Oh, yeah, exactly, think- and that's and it's totally plausible that he would have a better home run per fly ball rate than others. Granted, not over 50%. That's crazy, but. The idea that everybody has about a similar home run per fly ball is based on most guys being strong but not that different from each other, and he's just that much stronger than others not named Giancarlo Stanton. So, yeah, there'd be some regression, but it could be real that he's going to, like you're saying, maybe 30% or something, just more than most. Jim, I'll give you the last word on Aaron Judge for this week. I, I my, uh, my last thought on him, he that home run that he hit against Baltimore when he broke the uh, exit velocity <laughs> record. I have ne- I, I've never seen a hit like that. To go to that part of the park, the center fielder, all he had time to do was turn. Um, he didn't even have time to like give the pitcher the courtesy of running to the warning track, and, and the ball was gone. I, I just that that's a, he's like must see TV. Um, I, I think he's just fascinating to me. I don't know how he hits balls like that because there there was no spin on that ball. It was like a knuckleball that went over the fence. It was awesome. Yeah, I know. I know you both had busy weeks. Did you guys see the television that he hit during batting practice? Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> First off, that thing was supposed to be a safe distance away. Um, second, kudos to the Yankees for doing, I think, the, the best thing they've done in New York Yankee Stadium in years, which is to leave the TV up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. Like, that, that's, that is just, that's, that's amazing. That, that's even better than, like, you know, marking the seat where Mickey Mantle hits a home run. Like, no, nah, let's leave the broken TV up so we can show everybody, you know, to, to be afraid of Aaron Judge. Um, so I, I am very proud, uh, uh, very proud of Aaron Judge. I want to move on a little bit. We're in first place. Uh, part of what has been driving the Yankees in first place has been um, basically since Gary Sanchez has been injured, and we're not going to talk about, about that too much, but um, has been a, a really killer pitching staff. Um, do you guys think that this, the starting pitching staff we've seen this month is the starting pitching staff we will see for the rem- remainder of the season? In in terms of quality, not not names. I think I guess I'm. I think in terms of Tanaka and um, the the top two, so Tanaka and Sevi, I think are starting to separate themselves. I, I'm starting to get a little nervous about um, about the back guys. Uh, I know Pineda started out well; he's had some good games and he's he's minimized the damage, but he's really to me showing himself as a two pitch pitcher. And I, I'm, he start, he reminds me a lot of Burnett. He's he's got he's got games when he's just completely unhittable if he's locating, um, but he also seems really inconsistency. And I think April, inconsistent. I think April was a lot of it's. It felt to me like fool's gold. So I'm I'm a little worried at the bottom end. Scott, what about you? I'm more optimistic. So with Pineda, yeah, he's always a guy who has me nervous on a couple fronts, from generally seeming like he's a space cadet to having only two pitches 
to having the control but buying it with a high home run rate. But, you know, this year he's had five starts and there's not really a horrible dud among them. The worst he's done is the second one to go. Three runs in five innings, two home runs, but still the strikeouts. And if that's the worst you do, well, yes, obviously his first start was bad, but since then he's been remarkably consistent. So I feel like he's not having the sort of extreme ups and downs you've seen from Severino and CeCe, but, you know, more generally I feel like Tanaka right himself. He's underperforming, but not horribly since that first start. And if, you know, my view overall is that I'm really not confident that CC has anything left in the tank. But other than that, they might have four solid starters and not a lot of teams do. So let's talk about Sabathia for a second. Um, I think a couple of weeks ago, we kind of we kind of touched on Sabathia and he is coming off a low ERA, but not a great FIP. We were kind of looking and trying to figure out if Sabathia had you know, had the, the ability to get enough weak con- contact like he did last year to survive in the major leagues and be an above average or, or, or you know, even slightly below average player. And he's had a couple of bad starts uh, since then. Uh, Tanaka's ERA in the season is four, 5.45. His FIP is almost exactly the same at 5.44. His strikeout rate has dipped since last season. His walk rate has gone up quite a bit. People are hitting him. Uh, that soft contact ability seems to go away. So I'm going to ask a two-part question, and I'll let Scott go first on this. So part one, should the Yankees – What part one, what do you think Sabathia is as a pitcher right now? How good do you think he is? Do you think he's better than a 5.45 ERA? Number two, would you consider um, subbing him out for a Chad Green or Adam Warren or uh, Daniel Camarena is pitching on the same day as him and kicking ass at uh, AAA? So would you? how good do you think he is, and would you sub him out, Scott? I don't think he's very good. I think his ceiling is probably passable fifth starter who has a high fours ERA that is about what his FIP is looking like at a project. I think the bottom could completely fall out because he's 36 and declining, and he learned to sort of amble by with the worst stuff but not great. You know, I wrote a post maybe two years ago saying – he should be your loogie in the pen, something like that. Um, there are guys um, who are passable starters, lefties, and then they just stop being able to really you know, pitch like they would. But, you know, last year, Sabathia, OPS against, 725 righties, 662 lefties. So he's still good at getting lefties out. And in 2015, his bad, a bad year, Righties hit 864. Lefties hit 516. So even when he's been really awful CC, not solid CC of last year, he has a huge lefty-righty split. So honestly, you know, yeah, their egos and reasons is hard to do this. But if I were able to do this, just run the Yankee rotation based on what I think will help win games, not he's a veteran, he's paid a lot, I'd make Sabathia my loogie tomorrow as soon as I found someone to replace him by putting an ad on, you know, Monster or something. And Jim? I think... I guess what worries me about Sabathia, like more, it's more qualitative. Um, the arm speed and the velocity in the games actually seems okay. Um, what worries to me is that it seems like depth on his pitches has changed. Like he's he's not getting the downward movement, any downward movement on his cutter, and his breaking ball was never spectacular, anyways. Um, and that's what makes me wonder how much of it is actually mechanical. Um, I, I think. Um, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to react to two or three starts um, for for inning eater. Like I think I think Sabathia's your inning eater. I think it's if he's your fourth or fifth, I could see him. To answer your question about the ERA, I could see him 
you know, low to mid fours. Um, but he's going to have some real stinkers. I mean, you need to have somebody like a Sessa or a, a Mitchell ready on days that he starts because when, when the wheels fall off, it's going to fall off quick for him because this stuff is starting to become flat. Um, and, and that's the part that I think really worries me. He can't because he can't dial it up to 96 when he's not getting movement on his fastball anymore. And that and that's the part that he's going to have trouble compensating for the rest of his career. Yeah, yeah and going I, further. Uh, so just going further than that, you know, I don't. I never bought the idea that he's learned to pitch to soft contact because, first of all, the whole premise of FIP is that very few people have the skill of getting weaker contact than the average major league pitcher. But guys that do, it's usually because they have some really funky pitch, like a knuckleball or they have really filthy stuff, so it comes with a high K rate, or they have exceptional control. And Sabathia has none of those. At best, he's a passable guy who's a little subpar in his K and walking home run rates, but there's nothing that would give any explanation for how he might be generating soft contact, which tells you it's probably luck. I mean, look, his ex-FIP, which should you know account for that a little bit, is 4.69. Still bad. Better than his ERA, right? So, like, last year, maybe he was generating the same amount of soft contact, but he had a, a better baseline, right? Instead of having a four, a 5.44 FIP, he had a 4.28 FIP. And he was able to improve that a little bit with with soft contact. Um, this year, he is just not good enough to do that. And, I mean, to me, it's, yeah, I get that he's overpaid, and I get that he's a veteran on the team. He's gone after this year. It's not like they have to worry about what are they going to do with that contract for the next six years. CC Sabathia's lifetime with the Yankees is, is fast coming to a close. And does anybody think that Chad Green can't be this good? Like I, th- I think it's almost certain that Chad Green is a better pitcher right now than than CC Sabathia, and I think you can say that about half the AAA rotation. You can say that about Adam Warren's almost definitely a better pitcher. Um, you know, and at some point they just kind of have to say, you know, we're done. Like we're we, we're gonna we're either going to um, we're either going to do what we did with A Rod and Teixeira, really A Rod mostly, right? And we can just just say, look, you know, it's time for you to retire. Um, or, you know, they could make him a loogie. They could essentially DL him and make him a coach. Like, like I'm fine with all those moves. I like CeCe. He's a good guy. But you got you to gotta do what's best for the team at some point. This is a team yeah. fighting for the division. We are in first place by a game. And the Red Sox are a very, very powerful team. And the Orioles, you know, somehow win. And so, like, I, you know, somehow the, the, the Yankees have to have to play like every game matters at this point and waiting until August to, to, you know, show a, a guy who clearly can't pitch anymore the door because his name is CC Sabathia is too long. I think you have to let CC. I, I always think you have to judge his year by what he is in June though. Um, and I know that's like a long, that, that's a long time, but if I'm honest with myself, I, I think Chad green needs development anyway. Um, I'm skeptical of him. We'll, we'll cover him later, but um CC when it when it heats up and, and he, he he'll either go on a tear like he did last year and, and he'll put together six or seven good starts in a row or he won't and I think that's to me that's the decision point on on who CC Sabathia twenty seventeen is. Um, All right, well, let's, like cover, let's cover Chad right now. Uh, okay. So what we what we decide to do is every month we're, or so we're going to do a minor league roundup. We're going to go through all the teams. We're going to kind of quickly discuss things we've learned that are new this season. We've had a month of baseball so far in the minors. You know, people have, have are getting close to that 100-plate appearance mark. Um, we, we know something about the players that we didn't know at the end of spring training, and that's what I want to cover. We're not going to be talking about the players where we haven't learned anything. We haven't learned anything about Tyler Wade this season. We haven't learned anything about Kyle Higashioka this season. 
Um, but we have learned something about some interesting players. And so we're going to try to kind of go through this, and I'm going to put a timer on us so we don't spend any more than 10 minutes in any minor league affiliate because we could talk forever about this stuff. So uh, first off, uh, Jim, why don't you tell me – give me one player that you've learned something about at AAA this season. Oh, man. Uh, I, I think – so I think Luis Sessa, to me, based off who he is in AAA, I think is kind of fool's gold. Um, I think we touched on him briefly last week. He's, I think he's got good numbers at AAA, but I, I think he's starting to form into like a 4A type player. Those I, numbers, I mean, 1.54 ERA, a 12% strikeout rate, a 9% walk rate. Uh, that's, uh, by the way, less than five strikeouts per nine in 23 innings. He has a 4.48 FIP. And a 1.4 whip, which is worrisome to me too. I, I think you look at the whip and you look at the strikeouts at AAA for a guy that has had a couple cups of coffee in the majors – uh, I just expect it to be up higher with a power arm, and um, it, it's not there. It's not. He, he's not going back and, and, and dominating the way that I think he should. It's uh, it's a bit disappointing because he's in that bucket with Chad Green. Um, I know Chad Green's had some rough starts, but I think it, they're starting to diverge. Luis Sessa's looking like middle relief to me. That's that's what I see when I look at this uh, rotation. That's Grant. Scott, give me a player. I think Dustin Fowler is someone that when we talked about the minors, I was a little skeptical of, but he's just keeping up all elements of his, you know, B plus A minus skills across the board at AAA, even though, you know, Trenton, Scranton, they're not great hitters parks. So I feel like he's at 99 plate appearances. It's enough that he's doing basically what he did at AA, but better. So I'm just getting sold on him and he's, 22 and he's basically about ready for the big so if Gardner who's shown a little signs of life but if he isn't really up to snuff or if Ellsbury is more seriously injured you know I think he's jumping up in people's minds maybe as a guy who's going to get a shot soon yeah, I mean let's go let's go through those stats 293 batting average 343 on base percentage 543 slugging percentage so you know good all around right there only has a BABIP of 333 so this isn't all BABIP driven um, we all know he plays great defense. So, yeah, I think a, a strong start for him. I, I also, as we, we go through this, I want to talk a little bit. I think Fowler's just a good example, a way to start here. But talk a little bit about park factors. Um, there's a couple of things that people that, that I, think, I think people know intuitively but don't always think about for the minor leagues. One is that the ballparks tend to be more extreme. There's more, there's more ballparks. They are more poorly maintained. They can be a little bit weirder because it's minor league baseball. And so um, you often get these extreme park factors in the minor leagues. And you also get what are called league factors in the minor leagues, right? So the minor leagues are tend to be geographically close to each other. And so uh, you get similar weather patterns, similar climate patterns, which means that some of these leagues can be very pitcher-friendly pitcher compared to, um, especially at different times of the year, like when there's, when there's cold weather, compared to the major leagues. And the parks themselves can be, can be very weird. The Yankees as a whole have four minor league affiliates in average or worse leagues for hitters. And in those ballparks, in those, in those, um, uh, uh, in those, they almost exclusively, exclusively have ballparks, which are really bad for power hitters, especially left-handed power hitters. Um, so when we look at, Do- at Dustin Fowler and you see, I think a pretty impressive line, you, you have to contextualize that and say, he's got a pretty impressive batting line in a really hard place to, to do that. He's a left-handed hitter, in, in Scranton. And left-handed hitters have a 17% harder, uh, more difficult time hitting a home run than do than do the, does the average hitter in just in Scranton. And 
compared to like a PCL, a Pacific Coast League player, much, much easier. So that's just one thing I want to keep in mind as we kind of go through these. Yeah, and one last note about Fowler is that he's played most of his games in center, and I have a really hard time evaluating minor league defense because you see scattered clips, and the numbers, like you say, are half meaningless because the parks are half poorly maintained. Um, just to give another weird example, Albuquerque, the Rockies AAA team, in deep outfield, it's a hill that slants about four or five feet upward toward the wall. So this guy made a great catch the other day, but he like fell down while catching the ball and did a somersault. It was like, it's a horrible awesome. idea for these guys getting injured. But so the best, honestly, the best way to evaluate in the outfield, whether a guy's a real outfielder is, does the organization think he's still a center fielder? Because everybody gets drafted as a shortstop or center fielder then moves around the spectrum, right? So Fowler is playing most of the center field at Scranton. The only other guy playing center field is Mason Williams, who's just fallen apart, even though, EJ, you and I were his biggest fans, like in Misery, Kathy Bates. So I, 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 have, to, I have to disavow myself of Mason Williams, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, so I think that there's every indication that he's really holding up as a center fielder, and more importantly that with Ellsbury and Gardner aging and bruise-prone, it's looking like Fowler's the guy they're seeing as the heir apparent for center field in the not-too-distant future. So I want to talk about another heir apparent, or another heir apparent for the outfield at least, and that's Clint Frazier. So I've gotten the sense from the Twitter, because now I am on the It's About the Money Twitter, at IIATMS, all the time during games. I'm quite proud of some of the tweets that I sent last night, including one that I uh, I picked on Kurt Schilling quite a little, a little bit. Um, I said that Kurt Schilling would be in a, in a Marlins group to, to a group to buy the Marlins with Donald Trump if Kurt Schilling only had money. Um, so, uh, Clint Frazier is disappointing for people think he's disappointing for two reasons. The first reason is that he started off the season slowly, um, and so they kind of saw that those first couple of weeks, and they said, "Oh, Clint, Clint Frazier, just like he struggled with Trenton, he's struggling with Scranton." Um, and the other is that I think that Clint Frazier has gotten a little bit unlucky. And even given both of those, Clint Frazier is having a really good season at double A. He is 22 years old. He is batting 235, 333, 471 with a, a bad up of 267. That is going to come up. It is going to come up quite a lot. He currently is putting up a performance in terms of how hard he's hitting the ball that looks like a 275, 280 hitter, which given his strikeout rate is exactly what you want him to look like. He's putting up like a 360, 370 on base percentage, a 500 plus lucking percentage in this very difficult ballpark, in this very difficult league that that I think people are, are discounting. He's a right-handed hitter, so it's not as bad as it is for left-handed hitters in that ballpark. I think Clint Frazier has a very, very strong performance. He's had a very, very strong performance. He has a 122 WRC plus, right? So he's already 22% better than the league, and that's with him being unlucky. And I think that very, very soon we could be talking about when are we calling up Clint Frazier. Yeah, agree. And just looking at the numbers that you're saying, if you just for the park factors, he's better, but he's also gotten better. So his first week, he hit 172. His last week, he has an OPS of 1032 with two home runs. So he's definitely hitting a stride, it seems like. And on the season, 23% strikeout rate, and more importantly, 2-1 to strikeout-to-walk rate. So I think, like you're saying, he looks solid, and just as importantly, he looks like he's getting better. I think right. the, the, the big thing with Go him, though, i, I got to point out, Clint Frazier is he's not going to be – I mean, he may end up taking Brett Gardner's spot, but – um, he's he's not going to be asked to do what Brett Gardner does, and I think that's important to remember. He he's going to go in there, and even if he hits 250, but as long as he slugs for the Yankees, they'll be happy. And I think the most encouraging sign is the growth of that slugging percentage. 
because it, they'll swallow the average as long as he's finding a way to generate doubles and homers because that's what they need out of a corner outfield slot, and that's where this team's going to grow uh, in the future with him and Judge, hopefully, in the corners. I wouldn't be shocked if he, he if he started the season and the Yankees had been like, let's see if we can get your strikeout rate down a little bit because he wasn't striking out to begin the season, right? He and and he's a guy who's struck out, you know, a, not a ton, but you know, low twenties, which is like slightly below average uh, or above, worse than average uh, in the major leagues. Um, he's been striking out, you know, a, a ton, and then he was striking out like fifteen percent to begin the season, but he wasn't hitting anything. And I wouldn't be shocked if he said, okay, that didn't work. Let me go back to my thing. And he went back to his thing, and he's hitting, you know, basically just a little bit better, actually, than than he's traditionally hit down in the minor leagues. Yeah, and his isolated power, like you're saying, uh, he's not expected to do all the things Gardner does. His isolated power is the highest it's been in the minors at 236. So he is hitting the ball hard and not striking out a ton, which, you know, is about what you expect out and want out of him. All right, we have one minute left for AAA. Uh, is there a minute and 40 seconds? So is there anything, any other player you guys would like to bring up briefly? Nothing? All right, I'll mention that Cito Culver is slugging six, uh, 633. <laughs> so, uh, first so, base. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, playing first base. So, Scott, you're, uh, your good friend Kyle Holder, there is hope. Yes, yeah, it goes to Christmas future for him. All right, we're going to move on to uh, the Trenton Thunder, uh, the Yankees AA club. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Jim went first last time, right? So Scott, give me or yeah, no, Jim, whatever. Jim, you go first. Give me a uh, a player in uh, in Double A you'd like to talk about. I'm putting ten minutes on the clock. I feel like you're not going to like me for bringing this up, but Chance Adams has been a menace down there. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's. I I was admittedly when we were doing our prospect list, I kind of, I was, I, I didn't really know who this guy was. Four zero. 0.64 ERA. He's done 28 innings, so he's got plenty of time. Strikeout per inning, roughly. Whip of one. Um, he's gonna. He's a guy who's gonna graduate real soon. Uh, I mean, that, that's too big to ignore. We talked about holes in the bottom of the rotation. This guy kind of ended up in Double A last year. He's ready to go to Triple A. Um, it, it's. I, I, I'm kind of speechless on this because I thought it was going to be a regression. He made it into some top ten lists this year, and I. He would have been one that I would have sold short. Um, and he's making me look silly for it. 15 hits in 28 innings. I mean, that, that's <laughs> people. Are, there's a lot of talented people down there in that league, and uh, he's making them look silly. I think that that's that's a really, really impressive line from him. Yeah, and you know, he's walking a lot of guys, but you, you really do have to question it. Is he just too unhittable for the league that he just doesn't need to throw anybody strikes? Exactly. I mean, maybe the walks problem will get worse. Will get worse at AAA, and maybe the Yankees are telling him, "Hey, look, you, we know you're dominant. You need to get those walks down." Um, but I, I think, I think there's no reason not for him to, for him not to do that at AAA. Yeah, um, except that I think the AAA rotation also has a spot. Um, so Scott, either something about Chance Adams, or give me another player. Um, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, but Tyro Estrada or Thyro Estrada. Uh-huh. So in an organization with about 78 shortstops, it's not clear that he's one of the top couple shortstops that is the highest touted or gets the most attention. But he may be kind of a sleeper because he's had a pretty good across-the-board offensive game um, at basically as he's gone up the ladder. So he was, you know, signed with 17 from Venezuela 
And they clearly envisioned him as a utility guy from the start because he's played about equal amounts of second and shortstop. It's basically been 40% shortstop, 40% second, 20% third base. So they envisioned him as utility from the start. And when you're drafted and pegged as a utility player from the start, that is sort of like being drafted as a reliever. It means you probably have a low ceiling and they don't think much of you. But he's one of those guys, maybe like Fowler, who's kept sort of getting better at every level because he wasn't hitting terrifically at rookie in low A. But then... In Charleston, he had 286. Tampa, 292. This year, 310. And doesn't have a lot of power, but he makes really good contact. He has 11 walks to 10 strikeouts this year. And his career strikeout to walk is about 1.5 to 1, which is really good and what you want out of a contact hitter. So if he's keeping this up at AA, then, you know, as much as we were excited about Tyler, Tyler Wade putting up solid numbers as a utility guy at AA, maybe we should start thinking of Tyra Estrada as about in the same category if he can hit, so far, AA better than Wade did last year. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick my own right here. Uh, I'm going to pick, uh, let's go with Glaber Torres. So Glaber Torres uh, is a beast. We all saw him in spring training. We all heard about him in the, in the, in the American Fall League. Started the season, was not playing very well. He, uh, I think, through his first, you know, tw- uh, two two weeks, he was hitting like I think it was like two fifty with a three fifty on base and the not a great slugging. He got injured. He goes on the DL. He comes back off the DL sometime since we last recorded this podcast, and he is now batting three hundred five, four hundred six, four four fifty eight. He's hit up. He's hit a nice big home run. He's been hitting some doubles. I think he hit a triple as well. He has an eight point seven percent strikeout rate against a thirteen percent walk rate. His BABIP is only three twenty seven. It's only been 16 games, and they're definitely not going to call him up to AAA anytime soon. But this is the Glaber Torres that we saw in spring training and hoped and loved and dreamed on and saw the number two hitter for the New York Yankees for the next decade. Uh, And he has done nothing but uh, uh, make us more confident in that projection. To give you an idea of how great that strikeout rate is, Glaber Torres is a guy who had a strikeout problem through his entire minor league career until he got traded to the Yankees. Right, he had a he had 21% strikeout rate, 22% strikeout rate, 29% strikeout rate, very briefly in A-ball, 22%. It's traded to the Yankees, and all of a sudden he's down to 9%. Right, This is a guy who's made a major change in his game and is is has the kind of profile that you might see out of a Mookie Betts or someone like that. You know, he sounds good. I'm amazed I haven't heard more about this fellow. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so that's I think that's the guy right now at Double A to uh, to keep your eye on. Any other thoughts on Glaber Torres? Do you think? I, I mean, I, I'm just looking at the roster in the future here and about what this team is doing uh, at the big league level. Any chance he goes to third base um, to, to round out what what is it shaping up to be a pretty stacked infield at the big league level? I mean, do, do you see it happening, or are they going to be stubborn and and go to a decision point with Didi and him? So I think all points, all signs point that he's capable of playing third base. He has not played any position other than shortstop this season. Okay. Um, he is probably a natural shortstop, though by no means is he as good as Didi. This is not an A-Rod Jeter situation. This yeah. is clearly the Didi Gregorius is a better defensive shortstop than Glaber Torres. Um, I've heard second base, but all of a sudden Starlin Castro is the best player in the league. Or, or who's not Aaron Judge? Um, so I'm not too sure. I'm not sure where where the Yankees are thinking. I think that's a problem they'll address address later. Um, you know, I I could see him coming up and like in late in the season and being you know being a Ronald Torres basically um, and being that guy. I could see him playing some outfield. Uh, you could he could play third base, but you know Chase Headley's been amazing as well. 
So um, I, I don't think it's smart to think short term right now. Maybe the Yankees have to trade someone in the offseason. I mean, mm. that, that that's, could be what, what we're looking at right now. Mm. He is he is a better baseball player than Didi Gregorius, I think, or has the tools to really? be a much better baseball player. Yeah, I mean, Didi Gregorius is a really good player. Gleyber Torres is a potential all star, right? Yeah. I mean, he's the guy who 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 bats in front of Aaron Judge and 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 Gary Sanchez on the next championship team. I think. I don't think we've seen all of Didi uh, yet. I guess that's that's my reservation, and I have fantasies of you know lefty Didi, righty Gleyber. Um, just being stacked in the lineup and, and finally having like a, a middle infield combination that can actually, uh, you just, you, you march him out there for 155 games and you don't have to take him out for anything. Um, he played some second base in the Arizona fall league, I believe. And, and the, and the remark, like, he, like, like there was a game where just because the AFA Arizona fall league is kind of weird, they just kind of put him there. And like, he hadn't, he hadn't like taken a bunch of reps or anything like that. And like, I remember one scout tweeting that he looked like a natural. Right, like okay. he made the double play move from second base, just like he'd been playing there his whole life. Um, someone compared him to Javi Baez on defense, so okay. yeah, I think that's yeah. I mean, that's that's a high compliment. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Again, it's a good problem to have, and I think the Yankees will, if they have to trade one of these guys for say a starting pitcher, since they may have only Luis Severino under contract next year. Um, <laughs> I think I think that's something that they that that they'll they'll have the option to do. Um, all right, we have we have some more time in Double A, so let's go. Let's do one more quick round. Jim, you got another player Double A you want to talk about? I'll I'll switch off the pitchers uh, and I'll I'll shame myself. Uh, one of my outbreak players from uh, breakout players from spring training, Billy McKinney. Uh, yeah, no, I just I I have, I have to call process on this. He's been awful. Um, He's batting one forty three, two fifty six, two fifty seven. Um, 24% strikeout rate, 12% walk rate, not good. And his ops is a mighty 5-1-3. Um, so that's that's not what I want. Um, and I, Did you say ops? Yeah, OPS, sorry. O- no, sorry, no, no. That's I mean, there's <laughs> nothing right or wrong about, about these, you know, but <laughs> I've never heard that before. I got excited. You're just wondering if ops is a combination of up and slug. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's how we say it in my house. Um He's he's been anemic. I thought the power was coming back. I, I thought he was going to get be excited to be like a, a higher end prospect, and that we were going to really uh, rob Theo and the club, the Cubs. Um, it's it's not there, and I got to call hey, myself. We'll, we'll out. take Torres, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Scott, what do you think? I'm just waiting to move on to Tampa. I got a thing to say there. Oh, you got something in Tampa? All right, I'm going to really quickly put in a plug for Mike Ford. Mike Ford is a name that I think a lot of people who've been watching prospects in the Yankee system for a while are aware of because he's basically mashed at every level. He's mashed by being a high batting average, high contact, low on base percentage first baseman. And that's generally not the kind of guy that becomes a real major league prospect, in part because those players, you know, first baseman as a whole aren't as good as we thought they were 10 years ago. Uh, But also just in part because the, the on base percentage part tends to go away as you rise through the minor leagues. He has been excellent this season. If you remember that uh, he's a left-handed hitter and that Trenton is one of the worst places in the minor leagues for a left-handed hitter to hit for power. He has hit 329, 418, 494, 14% walk rate, 18% strikeout rate. Um, he has a 158 uh, uh, WRC+. Plus. Um, this is on a team as a whole 
that has hit and is one of the best hitting teams in the Eastern League. This team as a whole has hit 247, 324, 366. That's above average in the Eastern League. And and Mike and Mike Ford is mashing the ball. He is most of the offense uh, for this team so far this season. This is a guy who last season had a 19% walk rate and a 14% strikeout rate as a first baseman. As far as I know, he's a decent enough defensive first baseman. I think this guy deserves a shot in the major leagues. Um, and I don't believe in Chris Carter at this point. I wrote a post about a couple of days ago that said, you know, I think he's the best option the Yankees have. They should play him instead of Chris Carter. They didn't listen to me. They haven't hired me yet. Um, but I want everybody to pay attention to Mike Ford. I think he's a great player. And by the way, he's been putting up these numbers since since A, well, a ball. He's been putting it up consistently since 2013, and he's just kind of slowly climbed up the ladder. So are you out on Greg Bird? Is that, I'm not is that out weird? on Greg Bird, but I think, I think Greg, I, I think Greg Bird – Assuming the injury wasn't debilitating and that it's just an excuse to put him on the DL, I think Greg Bird, probably the way he's hitting, should be sent back down to AAA. Now, I will say that since I wrote that blog post, I listened to uh, MLB.com StatCast podcast, which is fantastic. Everybody should go listen to it. I think it's Tom Tango and someone else, Mike Gianella. And um, uh, they, they, they have this statistic they, they've come up, which, was called, which is called like predicted w on ba, WOBA. OBA. Basically, given the batted ball profile read by StackHash, how hard they're hitting the ball at the angles they're hitting the ball, what, what would we expect them to be? And Greg Bird has hit almost the exact same WOBA as Bryce Harper, right? Oh. Bryce Harper is better than this, better than Greg Bird. Bryce Harper has traditionally outperformed his WOBA. That tells you how hard Greg Bird's hitting the ball and nothing is happening. I believe they said he's had like 12 very hard hit balls that are almost always hits, and he's only gotten hits on four of them. Um, And that's a season right there. So I think there's some illusion in Greg Bird. And since I listened to that a few hours ago, my opinion has changed a bit on him. But I don't, you know, I think if you accept the premise that Greg Bird needs to go down to AAA or needs to be injured for a little bit or whatever, I think your next best option is Mike Ford. Mm, I can see that. All right, I want to move on to Tampa since Scott is uh, is is uh, you know uh, is clamoring for some Tampa analysis. So Scott Moss, give me one player in Tampa. So I have two, but I'll start out with just one. So to some extent, we're going through the minors, watching prospects. A little like ninety-nine bottles of beer on the wall, and that every year one or two that you had some hopes for fall off. Whether it's higher level like Mason Williams or Billy McKinney or, in my case, Kyle Holder, whom I had hopes for. Uh, but on the other hand, there are guys who then start outperforming your expectations, and those are the guys who are harder to notice because a sixth through whatever round draft pick, if he starts performing solidly but not great, is easy to miss him. So I mentioned one guy, which is Jeff Hendricks. So Jeff Hendricks was a... No idea who Jeff Hendricks is. He was a fourth-round pick in 2015, exactly. And, you know, he stunk at first. He had 229 in Staten Island, which isn't really a harbinger of great things. But then last year, he had 284, then 297 at A and high A. And at Tampa this year, he's hitting 333. And at Tampa, he's actually the OPS leader. Uh, so And it's mostly just contact because he's not a guy with power. He's a light-hitting center fielder. But I saw this guy in a game at Staten Island, and I'm both not a professional scout and attended only one game at Tampa, but I just had never heard of this guy, but he made this one catch that showed really good range. So uh, data set of one, but it just told me this guy is actually a center fielder, which means that unlike, say, a Billy McKinney, a contact guy who quickly became a corner outfielder, the profile of high contact, no power, has at least some chance of bringing you to the majors if you're really a center fielder. And Jeff Hendricks, again, is that guy. There was also this interview with him that I just liked. So 
one lurking difference that we don't hear enough about because we don't hear interviews or you know, profiles of all these people that are honest is which guys are really coachable and are going to learn and which guys are just, you know, hopeless meatheads or stubborn or what have you. And I just like what I heard from Hendricks. So in contrast to an interview I just read with Bryce Harper about how he injured himself yet again, making some crazy dive in the outfield. And the quotes from him sounded something like Lenny from Of Mice and Men. It was like, I need not dive hard, me big, got hurt, right? It sounded a little like that, you know, unfrozen caveman outfielder. Jeff Hendricks gave this interview where he was talking about, he gave a lot of cliches, but then they asked him what's been the adjustment. He said, well, and he gave this extended thing about how it's hard on your body when you're doing this much travel and playing this regular schedule. And he was a nutrition major and he's really had to refocus on and adjust after his first year to what the minor league schedule does to you and how you need to maintain yourself. So that struck me as unusually thoughtful and maybe an explanation of how he stunk in his first season and really hit his stride. So he just strikes me as maybe something of a sleeper where if he keeps making really good contact at high A and then hopefully double A soon, he could be on the radar screen. All right, Jim. Uh, I'm going to go to the other guy left in the Yankee system from the 2013 draft, uh, Ian Clarkin. Hmm. Um, I, he, this is a guy, I, I got a soft spot for him uh, for different reasons. I, I feel like he's had a tough paper route. Uh, he's I, He had crazy upside coming out of high school, big you know, lefty, fireballer. Um, a, lot of t- a lot of people were just as high, if not higher, on him being picked up by the Yankees uh, as Aaron Judge, and they were picked side-by-side side in the first round of that draft. Um, Tommy John, a couple nitpicky injuries, and all of a sudden he loses two seasons. He's still stuck in high A. Uh, but finally, he seems healthy, and also he's uh, his ERA is hovering, you know, two fifteen, one point one six WHIP. Um, I think success for him this year. He's just got to make it through the season without missing starts, and uh, I, I think he's on a fast track to go to the next level because this is a, a system that's kind of starved for um, good lefties outside of Montgomery, who's up, who's up, and um, at Sheffield. Um, and especially in Yankee Stadium, you can't have enough lefties in the system. This guy's got a fireball, and he's got a nice curveball. Um, and working on a changeup, I, I hear intermittent things about that. Um, he's the kind of arm that I think the system for the Yankees is kind of top heavy. And I haven't seen this. Um, the, the A ball arms haven't haven't really matured. Or they've been kind of stuck in neutral in the last couple of years. Um, so. High hopes for him, and it's off to a really good start. It's, it's, it's exactly what you want to see out of him. So, all right, I want to. We're going to move on so we can get this thing done under under time. I'm going to really quickly say Jorge Mateo. I hate to be the pessimist. Uh, I've been very optimistic in my first couple of picks. Uh, Jorge Mateo is hitting 224, 293, 306. He's a 28% strikeout rate, a 7% walk rate. And his BABIP is all the way up to 324, meaning that he has been getting arguably lucky with batted balls, and he's still batting horribly. Um, he has a 73 WRC plus, so this is not just park and league effects. Um, I I am not happy about Jorge Mateo. I think uh, Scott mentioned something interesting, which is you got you got to identify the players who are uncoachable. And Jorge Mateo has had has a reputation for being very difficult to coach, despite having incredible physical uh, skills. Uh, he has underperformed uh, for quite some time now. Basically, since the beginning of the la- the first two months of last year, he looked like an all-star, and since then, he has just been terrible. So, Jorge Mateo, uh, he is my my underperformer. But I'm so going to do, do, do one Go more Tampa, then I'll pass on the next level. So, 
Uh, a favorite of mine is Domingo Acevedo, right. whom I saw um, at Staten Island. It was his start that I went to see, and he was just unbelievable. This guy throws 100. He's about uh, – he's listed as six foot seven, but on the mound, he looked like he was about seven foot 14. He's huge. He has this huge stride towards the plate. And at the minors, he's now at Tampa, and he did well in a third of a season at Tampa last year, doing pretty well this year. His minor league line, forget the – is 277 ERA. With 10.2 Ks per nine, 2.4 walks per nine, 0.4 home runs. Hard to process all those numbers in a podcast, they know, but he's been great at every skill. There are two catches with him, which is that it's not clear he has a th- second or third pitch. Um, I think he has a changeup yeah. and an inconsistent slider. He's got a big and, fastball. Yeah, big yeah, fastball. Big, big, and it's, it's fastball. real because he doesn't seem to, he doesn't have one of those motions where it's high effort because at six foot seven, he's just sort of flipping it at 100. Um, the other thing is that. He's in his fifth year with the organization. He's never thrown 100 innings, even though he's been a starter. There's always some nagging injury. What that tells me is when you don't have the second or maybe third pitch, I think he's the second but not the third, the slider, um, and you can't quite show the durability for a starter when he's 23, he clearly is a reliever at this point. But if you're a reliever who doesn't walk people and doesn't give up home runs and you have 1.5 to 2 pitches – this is the sort of guy where if they just give up on him as a starter, he could be in the bullpen about tomorrow when you think about it, if he can control a 100-mile-an-hour fastball and can just rein himself into that one-second pitch and not have to worry about the durability. So he's a guy who's been marinating in the low minors just due to injury, but he could really move up in a hurry the second they can see that he's a reliever. All right, I want to move on. But first, we are sponsored by SwapSeatTickets.com. To begin swapping your tickets, go to SwapSeatTickets.com members and use the promo code SWAP. All right, let's move on to Char- the Charleston River Dogs. Uh, Jim, give me a River Dog that you'd like to talk about. Uh, I'm going to admittedly, uh, this team is less on my radar, but I do have a, a crush on Blake Rutherford. Um, and I have to say, I'm surprised at, at I'm kind of surprised at, like, like, where's the beef with this guy? He's got very, very little power at this level. And I just thought, all, all the read on him was that he was like a, a super mature high school player. You know, he's, he's a little older for a high school grad. Um, and I would have expected, I guess, a little more for a guy that had had a short season last year um, and was so highly touted. Um, the average is there. The on-base is there. He's just not driving the ball. And um, I know it's kind of a – maybe a little bit nitpicky for a guy in his first season, but he's a big man, profiles as a corner outfielder, Um and I guess given the hype, I just have higher expectations uh, coming out of the gate for this guy. And, it's, and it's even though we drafted scale. him last year, he's 20 years old, right? Um, yeah. I'll give him one defense, and that's that Charleston as a whole is, excuse me, has not hit for any power this season. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 high, the only three players have an ISO over 100. Um, and, you know, and Blake Rutherford is, you know, is, has the fourth best ISO on the t- or fifth best ISO on the team. So, you know, it's, it's not great, but yeah, I think you're totally right that there's, it's, it's less than you would have expected given how, how great he was and how great all the scouts said he was last season. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm going to, I want to talk about somebody who the scouts loved, um, but I was very skeptical of because I've heard this story a thousand times from players, from, from scouts. And that is Esteban Floriel. Uh, Esteban Floreal is 19 years old. 
he was described as having the best tools in this farm system. The Yankees always have a player like this. He's always in like rookie ball, the Dominican Summer League, and like baseball reference. Talks to a couple of scouts who are like, holy shit, this guy is good. And then they never go anywhere. Well, he's gone somewhere this season. He has hit 292, 379, 449. He has a very high, albeit 30% strikeout rate, a 13% walk rate, very, very high 421 BABIP. Um, he, the, Esteban Floreal is the kind of player who could be like a Curtis Granderson type if. He if if everything works out, he has the the elite uh, five tools that that not very many players have, um, and he's very young for his level. He's only 90, he's probably one of the youngest players at, at, at A ball right now. He's playing in a very tough ballpark. Um, he's basically has only played in rookie ball, um, and so he's you know this is this is not him repeating a level. Um, I am very very excited about Esteban Floreal. Scott, we have time to do one more. Would you like to? Yes. So he's on the disabled list now, and it was two days ago, and I keep Googling, and there's no word on what it is that's wrong with him. So that's obviously a nail biter, but this is the guy they got for Brian McCann, who has been clocked as high as 10, I forget if it's 102 or 103, but the man throws hard. That makes him the hardest thrower in the organization, not named Aroldis. So he, they got him, and unshockingly for a guy like that, he had a walk rate of about five per nine as an Astros prospect, or as high as six or seven per nine. So clearly had no idea where the ball was going. Yankees traded for him, and in two starts at Tampa and then three games at Charleston this year, his walk rate has just been dropping. He had 3.6 per nine last year, 1.8 per nine this year. So only five appearances, 24 innings. But, you know, when a guy you got had a six per nine walk rate literally in 2016 and then you get him and even in 24 innings he only walks seven that's a big difference somehow that you've gotten out of this guy and he's still throwing over 100 according to reports i've seen so obviously this is something just to watch i'm not saying he's definitely turned the corner but it's enough to raise your eyebrow and maybe take him out of the yeah lots of guys at 21 at low a throw hard and don't know where the heck the ball's going but he looked like he'd turn a corner, and when the five good appearances in 24 innings are after you switch organizations, who knows? Maybe they just said, uh, stride like this, or, you know, scratch your ear before you throw, or who knows what it is, or eat chicken, or whatever. So he may have actually turned the corner, but, you know, I hate when they don't tell you what an injury is. I get sometimes why they're not if they're in the playoff race, but, you know, why on earth are they not telling us this? It's not like they're about to trade Alabreu. It's not like their trading posture in the big leagues is going to be worse because they're down the starter with Charleston. I just wish that they would tell the fans, hey, there's this guy you're following. Here's the deal. Yeah, if we have anybody listening who uh, who's you know near Charleston and wants to go and just ask people there, I wouldn't be shocked if people in the ballpark would just, would just tell you what's going on with them. Um, all right, anything else? Anyone else? Any, any other players you guys want to bring up before we call this one a day? Can I give a shout out to Tito Polo? Because <laughs> Tito he was That's a real name. he was Sorry. one of our uh, representatives in the WBC, and really? uh, he's having like a quiet, like solid year. I mean, he's he's top third for his roster, and uh, I mean it's it's a catchy name. He's a guy that I want to succeed. I don't even know anything about him, uh, but he's in the WBC. He's playing well. Gets a shout out. That's wonderful. All right, real quick, guys. How many home runs will Aaron Judge uh, hit? Uh, before we record our next podcast, Scott. Three, Come on, Scott. Sure. Three. Three. All right, Jim. 
I'm going two, but can I say four doubles? All right. Jim says two and four doubles. I say four home runs and uh, 15 RBIs. All right, guys. You guys have a great day. Every-